Amen. Well, good evening. Good to be here. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to be in Esther chapter 6. <clears throat> so please turn in your Bibles there. You know, one of the... Um, References to our God is that he is a father of lights, right? Um, <clears throat> he, is, um, he is truth. And as we, um, you know, this, uh, this season, uh, it's a time of focusing on the, uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, as we see the light of the world be born in Bethlehem. You know, we consider the salvation that he has brought to all mankind. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God. And, you know, that's something that perhaps when we gather together and we study his word, that we would behold his glory uh, in a way that um, honors him and glorifies him. We're focused on him. His word uh, is more deeply embedded in our own hearts. And as we get to know him a little bit better, we, um, we trust him more. We, we walk with him a little closer. And as we get to know his word, we're better equipped to share it as well and share him. And so you know, as Rachel had said, you know, it's this time that uh, the Lord gives us opportunity to, you know, it's, it's this time that as we, uh, as we do consider um, our Lord and his salvation that he has offered to all mankind, that um, we ought to take advantage of every opportunity that, that we're given. And um, so make sure you do that. Right? Tonight, as we get into his word, uh, we will uh, have fellowship with him. We're going to have communion with him. Um, and, uh, and as we do so, let's go out and share that with others. Because it's not for us to keep. That, that's, that's a whole thing. Um, the gospel, we're supposed to go out and proclaim it to the, to the world. And today is, especially in today's day, um, it, it's, it's in desperate need of the good news of great joy that comes only through and by Jesus Christ. So we're in uh, Esther chapter 6, and we, um, uh, we left off with Haman plotting uh, to have Mordecai hung or literally impaled on a 75-foot stake, um, which is called a gallows. He had this made, and this was based upon the suggestion that was made to him by his wife and his friends as he was complaining about Mordecai and how it was that he was dishonoring him and not bowing down to him and paying homage um, to Haman. And so upon their suggestion, he had a 75-foot um, gallows made, and this was on his property. And tonight, as we continue through into chapter 6, we see God's providential hand move in such a way that it clearly reflects Events that had happened previously to set up what was happening in the present. 
And every now and then, as we consider God's providence, as we know his sovereignty and how it is that he, he has a bigger picture in mind, we see these types of things in our own lives. God's providential hand having arranged things in such a way in the past that you see why things are the way they are in the present. In the present. And so you, you, you think about that. You look back and you think, huh, that's interesting. Had that not happened, I wouldn't be in this place right now and have the opportunity to do whatever it is that you're doing. And we really should see life that way. Because remember, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? Romans 8.28, we know that. There are no coincidences with God. Yet sometimes, I think oftentimes, we don't take that into consideration. We don't think about that. Haman continues to be the arrogant, self-centered, insecure, and prideful man that we've known him to be. We've seen him to be up to this point. And what he schemed for Mordecai and the Jews will be used by God to bring judgment upon his own head. So it'll be turned back on, on him. We'll see that. Romans 8.28 again, and, and let's put this at the forefront of our minds. Let us remember this and perhaps commit this verse to memory. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Whether it's something that, it's des that is desirable, that you would deem desirable. Or something that you would say, this is undesirable. I don't know why the Lord has allowed this, but he has. Let us remember this verse. Because God is sovereign. He's still on the throne. Never comes off of it. He's not, he's not surprised or shocked. He has the bigger picture in mind. His wisdom is far beyond ours. In fact, our wisdom looks like foolishness in comparison to his. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne. There is no one above you. And Lord, for the child of God, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to keep perspective. Lord, to be reminded often, Lord, that it would come to remembrance that, Lord, all things you're working out in such a way that it brings about your plan to fulfill those things that you have ordained. And so help us to walk according to your will. Not ours. Although we, we want to, we, we oftentimes fail, Lord. Forgive us and help us to consider you and in the things that you desire to do in and through us and all around us and to fulfill things, Lord, that we know are according to your word. And so as we take a look at the continuation of this story of the account of Esther and the deliverance of the Jewish people under this edict of annihilation, Lord, help us understand as we see it unfold your providential hand, and help us to be encouraged in this time. And so we commit this time of study into your hand, Lord, and we ask your blessing and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So Esther chapter 6 verse 1 says, On that night the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bictana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. You know, the... Um, We've all had difficulty going to sleep at some point, you know, there, whether it's something on our mind or something bad that we ate. It's just, we've, we've all experienced that at some point, right? A sleepless night. And this is what the king was experiencing, this, this night where he had difficulty going to sleep. And there wasn't anything better for him to perhaps lull him to sleep then turning on a good game of golf. No, it wasn't that. He had, he had one of his officials go and bring him the accounts of the kingdom. Those things that have had occurred, the events. So he had these things read to him. Now, on the surface, we can say we don't actually know why the king chose to have this read to him, but we will see how this was used to bring about the honoring of Mordecai that would then bring to us, uh, bring us to Esther's banquet and then lead up to the uncovering of Haman's wicked plot to have the Jews eradicated, annihilated, which would include Mordecai and Esther. You know, again, we think about how it is that the world will, would consider these things uh, coincidences, you know, just, man, it just so happened to fall this way. But we know in God's economy, that's not how it happens. And keep in mind that the book of the memorable deeds, the Chronicles, well, he could have been brought any portion of that. And yet, he was brought... This particular section. And this specifically was read to him. It was God guiding each step. It was God turning each page. Until the selected section was read clearly. The one intended for God, by God, to have read to the king. And the king was listening intently. There are things that are uncovered at just the right moments. You ever had something revealed to you? Something in that moment that just brought you amazement? It just makes you wonder. It puts you in awe. As I look back in some, and reflect on some things that Many things, really, that have occurred in my own life. And perhaps that's why the Lord brings them to my remembrance. I'm in awe. I'm in awe of the events that led up to me surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. 
I'm in awe of what he allowed me to experience so that I would be at the point in my own heart ready to completely surrender my life to him. I think about the times that he spared me when really I, I should have been long gone. I think about his mercy. I think about his compassion. I think about his long-suffering. There should be many moments that when we arrive at a certain point, past events come to mind and we just stand in awe. We're, we're amazed. We can sit in awe at those perfect encounters, perfect revelations. If it hadn't been for this, and I can see how that would not have happened or something else would have taken place. You see, at this point, and we think about the Lord, the king didn't know that it was Mordecai who had informed just the right people, Esther, and it was brought to his attention that these two were plotting his assassination. And it was Mordecai who saved the king's life, although it had been recorded. He was reading out of the recorded events of the kingdom. And yet the king didn't know. Or perhaps he didn't in the moment take account. He didn't pay attention. But as we'll see, God saved that report for this specific moment, for his specific purpose. And the king responded when he heard this. He could have responded to anything else. But this specific moment, this specific event that was brought to his attention. And the name Mordecai brought up. And he asked this question, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Who was Mordecai to him? Mordecai was simply another subject of his in the kingdom. He wasn't anyone special to the king. And yet, we think about this. In this specific moment, at this time, the Lord brought it to his attention, brought Mordecai to his attention. And he was stirred and he asked the question, what honor distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The man attending to the king answered, nothing has been done for him. The king demonstrated concern for him and he was regarding Mordecai when he didn't have to. You know, you and I, we think about this. This, this is an earthly king. With his subjects. We have the creator of the universe. And yet he is mindful of man. As Rachel said. He deemed us worthy. To redeem. To send his son. To die for you. Not because of anything that we have done for him. But because of his love that he demonstrated to us, he, he has for us. Before we were even saved, before we could ever respond to him, the king, the creator, 
the Lord was mindful of you, was mindful of me. That is humbling all in and of itself. So we have this, this earthly king, Mordecai, who is, or this earthly king who is, who is um, considering Mordecai, who is acknowledging him. God was moving the heart of the king. In Proverbs 21.1, it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And in John 19.11, as Jesus answered Pilate, he said this, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. You know, Jesus, standing before Pilate, knowing that he was going to the cross... He stood before this governor and he said, you have no authority over me, none whatsoever, but that which is given to you from above. That is true of Pilate and that is true of anyone else. That is why we can stand confident as God's people and know that no one can thwart God's plans. You know, there's... There's so much talk about the, the end times and, and trials and tribulations. Well, it's nothing new. Brothers and sisters, it's nothing new. The Lord Jesus had prepared his disciples saying that in this world you will experience, you will know tribulation, you will know trials. But he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, for us, we need to just simply keep our eyes fixed upon him. Walk with him. Be led by the Spirit and bless and honor Him. Nothing, no power, no authority, no decisions that people of any position or authority can make, they cannot do anything unless it's been allowed by the Lord Himself. So, King Ahasuerus desired to honor Mordecai for uncovering this assassination plot or attempt that had previously taken place. And um, so this was brought up by no coincidence. Verse 4, let's continue. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Let's stop there for a moment. Oh, Haman, piece of work, right? Um, listen, it was no coincidence that at that very moment, the king realized, Oh, someone's come into the outer court. And, uh, and so he asked the question, who's entered into the outer court? And, and so, <clears throat> you know, no coincidence. This was, again, all foreordained. Now, keep in mind that the king could not sleep, had someone read to him, found out Mordecai had saved his life. The desire to honor Mordecai was put into his heart. And now Haman shows up bright and early. Remember that he wasn't able to sleep. 
So what time was this? <laughs> Haman was eager to go talk to the king. He was eager to go tell him about Haman and how it was, or to tell him about Haman uh, was there eager to tell him about Mordecai. And how it was that he deserved to be hung on the gallows because he didn't bow down to him and pay him respect publicly. He wasn't going to tell him about his plot to kill all of the Jews, but just specifically about Mordecai. But again, Haman had this all planned out, but God, God's plans overruled it. You see, Haman was not given the opportunity to communicate this to the king. Instead, the king now had something pressing on his own heart that would take precedence over everything else. And again, all of this was not by chance. It was the things God had moved into bring about the deliverance of his people, to bring it about. Listen, we may not agree or desire to experience all that God allows. There are many things that we would rather not experience. Like I said at the very beginning, it's, it's undesirable to go through these things. And yet we're told why we do. You see, not everything is judgment. Not everything is discipline. There are some things that are a result. They are the consequences of our own doing. It is correction, redirection. But there are other things that happen in our lives simply because it's by God's wisdom allowed. It produces patience in us to help us mature in the Lord, to help us trust in Him a little bit more, to walk with Him a little closer. We do know that God is in control. We do know that there is a bigger picture. When we want to really think that, although we don't say it, right? Well, everything revolves around us. Say, no, that's not me. That's, that's not what I believe. And yet, oftentimes, our lives reflect that. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger plan that God is working out. I am reminded, and I quote these two verses often. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so with this in mind, the king asks Haman, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Oh, it's an interesting question. Oh, what it brings about. Because with this question, we see how Haman thought in his own heart. And this is what we have. We have some insight here. It says, and Haman said to himself, it's kind of like Hannah when she was speaking to herself, she was in anguish, desiring to have a child. 
begging the Lord to give her a son. We have some insight. The thoughts of the heart. The things that are spoken, but just to yourself. And this is what we have here. Haman saying, well, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? You see, it's situations like this that serve to reveal the heart of man. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. I remember um, a dear brother of mine, Sergio. He would quote this often. Proverbs 30, verse 7 says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In either instance, the writer is desiring to just not dishonor the Lord. Don't give me too much that I forget you. Don't give me too little that I steal and profane your name. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, The good person out of the abundance of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know, we can take a a lemon. A lemon squeezed expels lemon juice, right? You can take an orange and cut it in half. An orange squeezed expels orange juice, right? And so we can go on. A person tested in various situations and circumstances, trials and tribulations, will at that moment reveal what is truly in the heart. It's hard. Sometimes you do not like what comes out of your heart. And yet it's what's existed there this whole time. It's what's present. Comes out in such ways that you need to pay attention. We need to pay attention in those moments. When asked, Haman really was thinking about himself. Who else would the king like to honor more than, more than himself, more than, more than me? Remember Proverbs 16, 18, which says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he, is low, he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Uh, we need to keep into, take into account the fact that those who are lowly in spirit will not look for honor, not to obtain honor, but will be given honor. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. What's the proper time? It's God's time. It's always God's timing. We wait for him. 
We do not demand it. We simply wait on the Lord. We will see who is in a few moments, um, you know, as we continue with, with the story, who's destroyed and who's lifted up. Again, what came out of Haman is what we need to consider. Uh, what came out of him uh, is, is when he was tested is really what reveals the, the heart. And what is that pride and arrogance? That's what's coming out of Haman. Verse 7 It says, And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown or wreath is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. <laughs> Haman uh, was given the king a description of what he desired to be done for him. Because, of course, as we get a little insight into his heart, he thought the king was obviously referring to him and not Definitely, he wasn't thinking about Mordecai. That's the last person that he was thinking about. He was thinking about himself. But the only thing this would do is artificially, and even more so, puff Haman up. More than he already was. He was already filled with pride. He was arrogant. Self-centered. It was all vanity. You see, Haman desired the applause of the world, the recognition of all, the praise of all. He wanted everyone to bow down to him and pay homage to him. The child of God should desire honor and glory for the Lord. To bless the Lord. Even if it means that others despise you, reject you, persecute you. You know, as we think about and consider Jesus, as he was addressing his disciples, said to them, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Luke 6.26. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, it said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, our our Lord has prepared us well. The words that he has spoken are all written for us in the Bible, the word of God. What we ought to be pursuing, desiring, is God's glory, not our own glory in any way. But this wasn't Haman. Haman was desiring his own glory. He wanted all the praise, all the glory for himself. And we know and we we ought to understand that this is a sad pursuit, an empty one, vanity. Instead, again, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
And we know that as we do, he'll provide everything that we need, according to Matthew 6.33. But Haman, well, he wanted everything that the world had to offer, and he wanted everyone to bow down before him. Verse uh, 10 says, Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave nothing out that you have mentioned. That was it. That was his response to Mordecai, or to uh, Haman. And so Haman took the robes and horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. <laughs> oh, man, can you imagine? Oh, Haman must have been shocked. Haman had come to the king to request for Mordecai to be lifted up, not in honor, but rather in dishonor and in shame. Not to be placed on a royal horse, but rather to be impaled on a 75-foot stake. Not to be praised by the people, but to be forsaken by all. That is what Haman desired of Mordecai, and yet quite the opposite took place. I am sure that he was shocked as Mordecai was lifted up. He was honored. These things that, that uh, Haman had, had suggested for this man of honor to be done, he was thinking for himself, was actually applied to Mordecai. And Haman was the one that was to take him throughout the, the town, the square, and declare him, hey, this is what is done to the man who the king, whom the king desires to honor. It was him. And this was only the beginning of Haman's humiliation. Just the beginning. He did what he was told to do, exalted Mordecai in public, just as he had described it to the king to do to this man who was to be honored. Verse 12 says, Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. You know, as, um, as Haman does what he was commanded to do, after doing so, he went home, but he was in a time of mourning. He was, um, he was grieving. He reacted as if someone had died. This is how much it had affected him. The elevation of another man, the, the elevation of his enemy, so much so that it made him sick. 
He covered his head. He was in a a state of mourning. Have you ever known someone who is so filled with anger and bitterness that they're in a, a stage of mourning because someone else was elevated? I've known people like that. It's like, why would you do that? Because you only do it to yourself if you've done that. We need to not do that. Again, God is sovereign. And yet we know of people who are mad at the world, nothing matters. Kind of like, I just don't care about things. That, that person is so upset that they make themselves sick. They're in a state of mourning. This is what was happening with Haman. And he goes back. Remember that he went and complained to his wife and friends about Mordecai. He was back again. Remember, misery loves company. And so he was going back to the same friends and the same you know, wife that had told him, hey, make a gallows. And it pleased him. And he made this gallows. You know, upon their suggestion, this was their counsel. And he went back to them. But it was different now. Haman goes back there and tells them. And they all discerned how this was all going to work out. Not in Haman's favor. But notice what they said. He said, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, so they've are, they're already seen, you're falling before him. It's not working. What you're trying to do, it's not working. You're beginning to fall. So they noticed that. They acknowledged that. Then they communicated that to him. He said, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him but will surely fall before him. The question is, where did they get that? Who gave them these words? So wait. At this moment, perhaps it was revealed, is Mordecai a Jew? Yeah, if we go back... It says, yet all this is worth nothing. This is the, the, these are the words of Haman. He said, yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. This was, these were his words that he spoke to his wife, Zeresh, and his friends. So yeah, they already knew. But perhaps in this moment, they, they realized, they thought, well, you know what? I've heard about the God of the Jews. And exactly what happens when he acts on behalf of his people. And, and since we're already seeing you fall, Haman, before Mordecai, if he is indeed a Jew, you have no chance. If he's acting, if he's acting on their behalf, you have no chance whatsoever. If, if we would have that same faith. If we would make the same type of statement. 
knowing that our God can do all things. Perhaps we would sometimes go through certain things a little bit better. We would have the proper perspective. They knew Mordecai was a Jew. They had initially gave Haman some some bad counsel. It was without knowledge, without understanding. And as they were telling Haman this, the king's eunuchs arrived to tell him it was time to go to Esther's banquet. (laughs) At that very time, verse, uh, verse 14 says, While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Instead of Haman eliminating his enemy, the Lord was working on Mordecai's behalf and on his people's behalf. Not only was Haman silenced, but he was also forced to exalt the person he wanted dead. Instead of Haman being exalted before the people, he was forced to exalt Mordecai publicly before the people to honor him. And he had no choice in the matter. Mordecai had never demanded anything from the king for having saved his life. We don't see of Mordecai coming to the king or telling Esther, please give a, give a good word on my behalf so that perhaps he may elevate me. And no. We don't see any evidence of that whatsoever. And yet Haman was doing everything he could to make everyone exalt him, to love him, to honor him. He was going out of his way. Even if it meant the annihilation of the entire Jewish population, he didn't care. Just as long as he was acknowledged He was praised. He was loved. Prefer humility over pride. Prefer meekness over arrogance. Even bigger than Haman and bigger than Mordecai and bigger than Esther was God's plan. Again, we may not agree or desire to experience all that God allows, but we know that God is in control. And in that we can rest. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger plan that God is working out. You see, for you and I, we have already been victorious in Christ over sin and death. Oh, that's why we can say, for for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's already a win-win. Whatever we experience this side of heaven, so be it. We don't desire to go through trials. We don't desire to go through tribulation. But when we do, and we will, it matters how we handle those things. You know, I said on Sunday, we need to learn how to live well, how to, you guys remember, suffer well, and how to die well. Oh, brothers and sisters, I, I pray that, that, like here in this fellowship, 
we would reflect those things because we know our God. We walk with him in great confidence, with great hope in him. We serve him. We live for him. Our lives are as living sacrifices unto him. When we suffer, well, we suffer together. But we also need to learn how to suffer. Not with resentment. And definitely not in isolation. We need to come together. But you also need to be responsive. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing, and don't complain. Don't complain when you are suffering. You isolate yourself from everyone and then complain that no one is ministering to you. Please don't do that. Please acknowledge and humble yourself, okay? And acknowledge that you are isolating yourself. Can I be blunt? That's your issue. Not anyone else's. You need to repent of that. Okay? You know that when you are suffering, come together with the brethren. Allow others to be our brother's keeper. That is what it means to come together in fellowship and trust the Lord and believe that he is moving amongst his people. And he is desiring to minister to one another through each one of you. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. Right? Let's learn how to live well, how to suffer well, and how to die well. You know when the, when the day comes, and the day will come. If the Lord tarries and he does not rapture us, he doesn't take us home to be with him, snatch us up. Man, I so look forward to that. I, I, I hope the rapture comes and we're all snatched up all at the same time. We'll rejoice in heaven. But if not, may when we come to that, to that point that we are dying, that we breathe our last year, let us remember that we're going to glory. That we would, in that moment, even declare the goodness of God, His grace. And we look forward to being in His presence for all eternity. Again, there's a bigger picture, there's a bigger plan. God is working it all out. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And for the, in 1 Corinthians 1, 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I will therefore rest in the Lord and know his peace. I will therefore rest in the Lord and know his peace. I'll leave you with this. Isaiah 26.3 which says you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Father, oh Lord, we want to be kept in perfect peace. We ask that you would help us that our minds would be stayed on you, fixed upon you. Lord, that we would trust in you, have faith in you, Lord. Rely on you, walk with you, love you. Lord, that we would demonstrate a trust in you and in you alone. 
And so, Lord, as we consider or the contrast here, Lord, we see a, a man, Mordecai, Lord, who, who you are acting on his behalf, Lord, and not, not just for his. We know it's not just for Esther, but it's for your people because you are faithful to your people. You, you told Joshua, you told Moses that you will never leave your people, you never forsake your people. And Lord, you're just being faithful to your word. And so you are glorifying yourself in this very moment. Lord, help us to, to not be self-centered, but help us to be other-centered, to, to be willing to give of ourselves, Lord, to bless and honor you. And Lord, to participate in the fellowship of the saints, to, Lord, be counted, Lord, entrusted upon. Lord, to give of ourselves in such a way that we fulfill Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, where it says that if every part is, is doing its part, is doing what you've called us to do, the Lord, we build it. We build the body up in love. And so help us to be those people. Again, other-centered, not self-centered like Haman, Lord, but, but simply desiring to bless and honor you. And so thank you, Lord, for, for your sovereignty. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your compassion, your long-suffering. Oh, Lord, thank you for keeping your eyes on us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.